Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Big thank you again to our worship team for always doing um, just an absolutely amazing job. Um, I'm going to get something off my chest right away. If anyone noticed, I'm wearing flip-flops, which I would normally never do while preaching, but I was doing something pretty active the other day, and I got some pretty terrible blisters, and it's too painful to put shoes on, and you can't see at home. Maybe you guys can see some of these, but those are, uh, that's what I'm dealing with right now. Um, And happy 4th of July. Happy Independence Day. Yeah, there we go. Happy Independence Day. I always loved um, 4th of July growing up. It was always a good time. Um, Growing up in Arizona, especially in the summers, I mean, it's like 90 degrees at 10 o'clock at night, so you basically just party the whole day. Um, But honestly, I also loved 4th of July because it's so close to my birthday. So anytime I heard 4th of July, I just think about my birthday because I'm a narcissist. Um, and uh, my birthday is July 14th. So when people would say July 4th, I'm like, oh, are you teens? Like, it's so close. Um, a friend. So fun fact of the day, Sam Holland already said it, is my birthday, July 14th, is actually Bastille Day, which is France's Independence Day, France's uh, National Day, which I was able on my 21st birthday to be in Paris on Bastille Day which was an incredible experience. It was really surreal. I was standing in front of thousands of people parading and basically just celebrating me. It was so fun. Um, But it it really was. It was a great time. And then at one point, there was this announcer who was just kind of yelling things, and it was in French, so I didn't understand it. But people were cheering and yelling. And then at one point, they announced something. People cheered. And then they started playing Living in America by James Brown. And... (laughs) Then people were like laughing and cheering, and then they continued to just play like 70s American rock for like 20 minutes. And so to this day, I still don't know if they were making fun of us or celebrating us. Don't know. But it felt like I got kind of the best of both worlds. Um, If you've been joining us in the most recent weeks, uh, Brian just finished his sermon series on reentry, which was a really great series on this idea that when you enter from the darkness and you go into the light that you think it's going to be this great positive experience, but there are actually some negatives, some anxieties and stresses that come with um, stepping back into the light. And so as we step back out of this pandemic, as we start opening things up, um, Brian preached a great series on where to meet Jesus in these moments and how to continue and be wary of some of these maybe negative things that come from seeing the light. Um, But Brian is gone, so you're stuck with me today. And so um, being Independence Day, being, being July 4th, I wanted to go out on a crazy limb, and I wanted to think of just some crazy cool sermon topic that could just blow people's minds. So today, we're going really outside the box, and we're going to talk about freedom. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa, I know. I'm a trailblazer and a pioneer. So hold still, because we're going we're gonna to tackle this. Um, but no, I, 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 I honestly, I just started giving this some thought, and I thought, um, this, this is a cool opportunity um, to maybe just reassess and think about some of maybe our thoughts, our feelings, and our faith, especially as we're coming out of this pandemic. And so I want to begin this morning by simply asking this question. Are you free? Would you consider yourself free? Are you a free person? Now, hold on to your answer, because we're probably going to be asking that question a few more times this morning. Now, for a lot of you, your answer to that question is dependent on how you define freedom. Because freedom is one of those words that, you know, we we basically know what it means, but it's slightly ambiguous, and it means some different things to different people. And so, um, I didn't do any research on, like, what the word freedom means, but I just looked at what other people thought of the word. And so, I started with kids. What do kids think freedom is? And the answers are pretty amazing. Um, But they... Every answer a kid gave had the same basic idea, and that is freedom is the ability to do whatever you want, whenever you want. 
right? So one kid said, freedom is not going to school. School is slavery. He wants to be home. Another kid said, it is the ability to eat as much ice cream as you want whenever you want and never get a stomachache. Like, and he will have nothing less. Uh, this, little one, this one little girl said that it was being able to fly and have heat vision. If that's not freedom, I don't know what is. And then what's funny is, as I started looking at maybe what adults said, I looked at people all around the country, all around the world, what they thought freedom was, and the adults' answers were kind of the exact same thing. Now, given they weren't shrouded in superpowers, but they were still under the same basic idea that it's the ability to do whatever you want, whenever you want. But theirs is more like, I want to be able to marry who I want. I want to be able to have the religious freedom to do whatever, to practice whatever religion I want. I want to have any job I want. I want to be able to live wherever I want. People just don't want anything hindering them down. If you Google freedom, and there's a couple of definitions when you Google it, but the top one usually is this definition. The power or right to act, speak, or think at, uh, as one wants without any hindrance or restraint. We have this idea that we want to live without hindrance or restraint. That's what freedom is. Nothing holds us back. Nothing pushes us forward. We just can do whatever kind of we want. And so quickly I'll ask again, based on some of these ideas, would you consider yourself free? And you might be asking, okay, Austin, this is a silly exercise. Of course I'm free. I'm not enslaved to anything. I'm not bound by anything. I have no bondage. I am able to come to church when I want. I can eat where I want. I can do basically whatever I want. And I think that those are all amazing forms of freedom. But I think Jesus would actually challenge this idea. If you have your Bibles, you can open up. We're going to start with uh, John chapter 8, and we're going to sit in verses 31 to 35 for a second. We also have it up on the screen. Here's what Jesus has to say. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains in the house forever. You see, slavery is not simply bound by physical limitations, simply bound by political oppression. There is an abstract idea to sin, that, a slavery that affects absolutely all of us. But Jesus also goes on to say that the truth will set us free. What, what exactly is this truth that he's talking about? And setting us free from what? Free from sin, but what exactly does that mean? And so I think to dive into this a little bit, we should start with maybe what are some of the things that we personally might deal with and be enslaved to in a lot of ways? What are some things that we might take away our freedom? Because slavery, in a lot of ways, is just something that takes away our happiness, our joy, something that takes away from something we want to be able to do. So here's some things that we might be enslaved to. Money. You know, I don't have the freedom to do this thing because I don't have enough money. I don't have the freedom to take care of my family. I don't have the freedom to go buy a boat. I don't have the freedom. I can't do whatever I want whenever I want because I don't have enough money. Love and affection. I don't feel satisfied. I don't feel completely content unless I have this love, this affection, this, this, this desire being met in my life. Fame and notoriety. I need to be noticed as a certain thing. I need to be seen in a certain way or else I can't be happy or satisfied. Health, physical limitations. I can't dunk a basketball. I don't have the freedom to do that. <laughs> Even if I wanted to, you'd have to lower the hoop eight feet for me to be able to dunk a basketball. And a lot of us have health issues. That hinders us from being able to do the thing that we want to do. 
time. Maybe we have perfect health. Maybe we have all the money in the world, but we don't have the time to do it all. We work too many hours. There's too much going on. We don't actually have the time to do anything. Then there's lots of people who are subject to political agendas and authorities. There's actual slavery still going on. There's actual enslavement still happening in our world. Some of us are still bound by political agendas of the country, the province we live in. And this might be the biggest one. We all still have mental limitations, fears, and anxieties. Things that I said, I want to be able to just freely go to that social event, but I'm anxious. I don't know what people are going to think about what I'm wearing, what I'm doing. People don't like me. I hate myself. These are things that rob us of our joy. They rob us from being able to be free, to live life freely. So of some of these things, what are you a slave to? What of these things do you think you might be a slave to? And of these things, why is it that we feel like we're sometimes powerless against them? Why are, why are we in bondage to them? Why are we so focused on having enough money, having the right job, getting the perfect spouse, having the perfect kids? Why are we so focused on all these things? I think we can find answers to this in some of the definitions that the kids gave for freedom. They thought freedom was to be able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, without restraint, without oppression, without anyone holding you back. I think for a lot of us, that's kind of how we view freedom, especially on July 4th, because that's kind of how we got free. We got away from the bondage of the monarch of England. We got away from the oppressors. We think of freedom as not having anything above us. We get to live autonomously, act autonomously, make any choices we want. We get to do whatever we want. And we think that that's freedom, being able to do and act however we want. But this is such an ugly lie. This is not the truth that Jesus is talking about. We do not follow Jesus so that we can do whatever we want whenever we want. This is not actual freedom. It's the same lie that the serpent told Adam and Eve. You don't need God. You think he's above you? No, you can make your own decisions. You can be autonomous here. Go eat the fruit. It's okay. You can do it. They ate the fruit. You'll have to read ahead to see what happens. But it doesn't exactly go well. And what the serpent does is he just twists the nature and intention of God into saying, you don't need this bullheaded authority figure over your head. You can be your own autonomous person. But I think this is the exact opposite of what actual freedom is. Actual freedom, the truth that Jesus is talking about that will set you free, is full, complete, and utter submission to God and who he is and what he has for your life. Putting your whole life and your whole self into God's hands actually makes you freer than you ever thought possible. And I'm sure for most of us, we probably think the words submission and freedom should be antonyms. Freedom and submission should be oxymorons. They, they don't go together. But I believe that this isn't just a spiritual practice. This is actually maybe a biological, physiological, actual human practice. There's been so many books written on this idea. There's a guy who is a, I'm going to try and get this right, he's a neuroeconomist. Whatever that is, it sounds brilliant. He's also a marketing professor at Stanford. His name is Baba Shiv, and he did this test. He's done lots of tests like this. I'm just going to explain one of these tests. He got 2,000 people, and he split them into two groups, so 1,000 in each group. And this group had to do two things. They had to choose a type of tea to drink, type of tea to drink, 
and then they had to solve a series of puzzles, as many puzzles as they could solve in 10 minutes. The first group, group A, they got to choose whatever tea they wanted. Now, some of these teas had caffeine, so they stimulated the mind. Some of the teas were more like chamomile, so they relaxed the mind, and they got to make whatever decision they wanted and then go solve puzzles. The other group had someone in charge who picked the tea for them. So they didn't get to choose, they just had a tea given to them, they had to drink it, and then they went and solved puzzles. Of these 2,000 people, he found that on average, the group that did not get to choose their tea solved three more puzzles than the other group. The group that did get to choose only solved five, the other group solved eight, almost a 60% increase. And he has done tests like this all the time, many different tests, and they all have the same result. People feel freer, are more productive, are happier, are more efficient and effective when they aren't the ones making the choices. And he found that it's because people who chose which tea they wanted, as they're doing these puzzles, they thought, oh no, I should have chosen the other tea. I should have chosen the other tea. I made a mistake, uh, now I'm too caffeinated, I should be calm. And they find that when you make decisions, you're so focused on the past of the decision that you don't focus on the future. Whereas the other group was so focused on the future, they're like, oh, I can't, sh I, they gave me the tea, I'm gonna work on this puzzle, I'm gonna focus on the puzzle in front of me. But any single time the other group struggled with a puzzle, doubt flooded their head because of their decision. Did I choose the right thing? The same doctor, or this, yeah, he's a doctor, the same guy, Baba Shiv, his wife was diagnosed with cancer. And the doctor gave them, he says, 15 ideas of what good treatment would be for the cancer. And he tried to follow the same mentality. He's like, I'm gonna practice what I preach. So he let the doctor choose what the treatment would be, and their only actual work was to just do what the doctor told them to do. So instead of saying, oh, we're gonna choose this option to cure the cancer, to help the cancer, and then if it didn't go well, they're wondering, oh, well, should, should we have done the other one? Then doubt floods your head. Anyone who's had serious health issues knows that your mindset is very important when it comes to recovering. But instead, they said, no, we're gonna trust the doctor, and we're just gonna go forward. We're gonna look forward and not focus on our decision, we're just gonna go forward. And thankfully, their story has a happy ending. She's, she's been in remission for five years and seems great. But it, he has based this all on the fact that they have to focus on going forward and the positivity. They don't focus on the, on the behind. And I think this happens in our everyday lives too. Do you guys have a story or a memory or something in your lives where you, whether it was for a brief moment or a long moment, fully submitted to somebody that you trusted, that you knew loved you and cared for you? For me, it's every time I go on vacation with my dad. My dad is like the vacation guru. <laughs> like, I don't have to worry about anything. When we go on vacations, I just wake up. He basically scoops me out of bed. He's got my bag. We're in the car. We're driving to the airport. He hands me my ticket. I sit in my seat. We go right. We get the rental car. Go right to the Airbnb. And then as we get up, as we get to the Airbnb, he's like, cool, we have dinner reservations at 6. We're going to go snorkeling in the morning. We're going to go ziplining at night. Like, just everything. Like, it's planned. Like, I don't know if you've been in those moments, but you just get to sit back and just enjoy what's put in front of you. Since then, since I've been old enough to, you know, get some of my own money and have my own time and my own freedom, I get to plan my own trips. Now that I have the freedom to plan my own trips, I don't like it as much. <laughs> I go to an Airbnb, and the minute I walk in, I'm like, this is nice. Is it nicer than that one? Oh, we picked that restaurant. Should we pick that restaurant? Ziplining was fun, but should we have gone, you know, should we have gone on the hike instead? You're automatically filled with doubt with choices. Choices are a burden. I mean, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. Think about dating. Oh my gosh. If you are single, and I mean this with the full sincerity, I am so sorry. Like, 
because of your choices. Like, you can get out your phone and at any moment can be in contact with a thousand people that could potentially be your spouse. And so every moment you find someone new, you get a connection, you're like, well, is this one the one? There's so much stress and so much burden that this person is perfect for you. You could find someone who's 99% perfect and then go, man, there could be someone 100% perfect. People now who start dating are constantly questioning. Instead of enjoying the relationship, they're constantly testing the relationship. Constantly wondering, is this the right person for me? Then they get married, and while they're married, they think, is this the right person for me? I, I don't know. I mean, that one person three years ago was great too. There is so much stress and burden that comes with choices. That come with choices. We think that having the freedom to choose is actual freedom, but it's not. When we get to sit back and listen to God, that is genuine freedom. We need to give our all to God. Here's how Paul puts it in Romans uh, chapter 6. Paul says, You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. He's knocking out this idea of what we think freedom is. Freedom is not just getting out of something. It's also stepping into something, being slaves to righteousness, being so enslaved and excited to do good and honor God. He goes on four verses later to say this. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and in its end, eternal life. We are free from sin and we're slaves to God. Why? Because that leads to sanctification. That leads to you becoming more like Jesus, ultimately leading to the end, eternal life. Now, I want to camp on that phrase for just a second. Maybe not more than a second, probably. Eternal life. This is the phrase, this is the thing I think keeps us from wanting to fully submit to God. How often do you guys think about eternity? In your daily life, how often are you thinking about eternity? How often is your day-to-day life affected by your conscious idea that you're going to live eternally? When you go to fill up your car with gas, are you thinking about eternity? When your kid isn't acting the way you want, are you thinking about eternity? When you got turned down from the job you wanted, we don't have enough money. When someone you love gets sick, how often are we thinking about eternity? We don't. And I think this is, I don't, always, I think this is the root of slavery. I think this is what Jesus is talking about when he says you're slaves to sin. Slavery is when you give this world more credit than it deserves. When you put this world ahead, not not if you give it any value, it has value, God created it, but if you give it more value than God. Slavery is when you give more credit to this world than it needs. We live for the now and we're not concerned about eternity. I wish I could take credit for this illustration. Um, there is a popular pastor preacher named Francis Chan who is absolutely incredible. And just a heads up, he uses a rope. I don't have a rope. I have a cord, so I'm going to use a cord, uh, an electrical cord. Um, but this is his example. This long wire, I hope you can see it on the live stream, is your life. C.S. Lewis once said, you have never met a mortal being, ever. Everyone's immortal. This orange part right here is your life. 
80, 90, 100 years, if you're 110, if you want to break records. Right here. This black part is the rest of eternity, is the rest of your existence. I'm going to go off camera for just a second. I'll be right back. This is all yours. All that. But we get so blind and we live every second as if this is the only part that matters. This part. And we think that this part right here at the very end, that this is the end. So we have to fill everything in that we can to get to here. That, well, well we shouldn't do that yet because we, we, if we do this thing here, then it's going to affect this. But we have all of this to look forward to. Eternity. And yet we get stuck thinking that this is the only thing that matters. Paul says in, I don't have it on the screen, but Paul says in um, Romans 8.18, he says, he doesn't even think his present circumstances are worth mentioning compared to the glory that's in heaven. And this seems drastic. He doesn't even think his present circumstances are even worth mentioning compared to the glory that's in heaven. He has eternity so set on his heart, on his mind, that he knows that everything that we do now is utterly kind of, in some sense, meaningless compared to what it is. There's an entire book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes that's all about this idea. We live our lives as if we have $10 in the bank account, and when something bad happens to us, we lost five of it. And what Jesus wants us to show us is that we actually have a billion dollars in the bank account, and we lost a cent. That even if you lose Maybe something happens to you and you lose two years of life. Pandemic happened. We all lost like at least a year and a half. Some of us lost actual loved ones. There is this. There is all of this. There is eternity to be with him. And if we had that idea, if we knew with confidence that that is what was going to happen, how would we live? Would we live differently? I, uh, growing up, was um, a really anxious kid about one thing in particular. I, ever since I was 13 years old, I just, it wasn't really rooted in something good, like wanting a wife. I just wanted girls to like me. Most 13-year-old boys probably have this feeling. Probably 13-year-old girls also have this feeling about, about boys. But I just needed girls to like me. Not even necessarily like romantically. I just wanted them to think I was cool. And I wish I, could, I wish I could put you in my head and describe to you how debilitating this was being a middle schooler and high schooler and early college of like, one time a girl said lacrosse was cool, I went on to play collegiate lacrosse. Like, I dedicated my life to it because a girl one time when I was 12 said it was cool. Maybe that's not the whole reason, but it was definitely a reason. The amount of times I thought about going to a pool party, but a girl called me pale, so I didn't want to take my shirt off. I, so I didn't go to the party. The amount of times that I read a book because I heard a girl liked that book and so I wanted to read it so that I could show her I knew the book. The amount of times I watched a movie, a TV show, the amount, of, the amount of brain space, energy, time, money, the amount of my existence that has been dedicated to wanting to look good for these people from age 13 to 25, it, it's just terrible. I was enslaved. I was in bondage to wanting to be liked and loved by these girls. If I could go back in time and go to my 13-year-old self, sorry, you probably won't be able to see this well in the live stream, 
and show them a picture of who I was going to marry? If I could show my 13-year-old self all the fun memories, these are, this is our engagement book, all the fun, like, like the absolute love of your life you were going to find, that you were going to marry this beautiful, smart, intelligent, athletic, cool, fun person, I could show myself that picture when I was 13. Can you imagine how much differently I would have lived my life? I would have read books I wanted to read. <laughs> I would have played sports I wanted to play. I would have watched the TV shows I wanted to watch. I would have lived freer. There's this idea that when we know the future is secure and the thing we want, we're less worried about it now. If you knew you were going to have the perfect job in a year, you wouldn't be worried about not getting that job today. If you knew you'd have all the money you could ever need in two years, you wouldn't be as worried about fixing your rent now. There's an idea that if we have the security going forward, that it actually makes us freer now. The author of Hebrews says, sorry, I don't have it on the screen again, but since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We get afraid of death whether we know it or not because we think subconsciously even that that's the end, that that orange part of the cord is the end. But in the same way that if I could show my 13-year-old self a picture of my wife, I would be living so much freer Imagine if your heavenly self could come down and show you a picture of you partying with Jesus in heaven, of you on your knees hanging out with your loved ones, praising his name, living that perfect life and eternity in heaven the way God designed. Imagine if you could see a picture of that now. Wouldn't you live differently? Wouldn't you be less worried about some of these things? Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 3-5 that we have this inheritance, this salvation, that is undefiled, unfading, and unperishable, being guarded by God. My 13-year-old self does not have a picture of my wife, Megan. He doesn't, she, he doesn't have it, unfortunately. But we do, through Scripture, have a picture of us in heaven. We have it. We have a security given to us by God's promises that we are going to be secure, that this world is not the end, that this is not the biggest thing that happens, that we have true freedom when we dedicate this world, this life we have, to the rest of eternity. That when Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, that truth is submitting to God, letting him be in control, letting us just listen to our Father. Like I listen to my dad on vacations. And the truth will set us free. We get to sit with God and relish in who he is. We get to be totally free. And as Paul said in Romans, by submitting to God, by becoming slaves to him, we are securing this eternal salvation. We get to live for eternity, not live for today. And so as much as today is a very important day, and it is, please don't get me wrong, a very important day. It is absolutely meaningless and nothing compared to the true independence and the true freedom that was bought for us by the blood of Jesus. That by him dying on the cross for our sins, for our salvation, we have been 
mended this broken relationship with God and we get to be free under his authority because he loves us, he cares for us, and he protects us. That no matter what happens to us here, we have this eternity that we're going to be living in perfect excellence with him. And so I'll finish by asking one more time. Are you free? Do you think yourself as free? And if you say yes to that that question, then hallelujah, amen. Praise God, give him all the glory. Give him every piece of glory, every piece of honor that he gets, which is everything. If you're like me, and you recognize there's still some parts of your life that you feel in bondage to, that that you're still a little more consumed about this world, living the best life, having the money to do what I want. Then I would encourage you, don't run from it. Give it to God. Hands and knees, give it to God. Say, God, I am a slave to some of these things still. Help me, because we are going to be saved. We are human beings. We are simultaneously called to be perfect and also simultaneously known by God that we can't be perfect. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't bring these things to him and say, God, please help me be free from bondage. Help me not to be as concerned. Help me to not be anxious about anything as you say, God, because ultimately you have everything in control and that we have a salvation that is secured if we submit and give our all to you, our Savior.